welcome to another bonus episode of Sleep Whispers, an extra treat for my Soak Plus members. This is bonus episode number 97, and it's titled A Wilderness Survival Story, Part 4, Rabbit Traps, Fungus Experiments, and Beaver Surprise. Now, as a reminder, what you are about to hear is a helpful survival guide, but it's written to sound like a dramatic survival adventure. So listen closely, and you'll hear actual tips that may help you in a survival situation, or you can just enjoy the drama and the adventure of the story. If you haven't listened to part three yet, then hit pause and go enjoy that episode. If you have listened to part three already, then here is a quick summary. In the prior episode, you learned how to fish without a hook, how to catch a furry animal without any bait, and how to find true north without the sun. The episode ended with our woodsy lad quietly stalking a rabbit. In this episode, you'll find out if he is successful at capturing the rabbit. And as well, you'll learn about creating a rabbit trap, cooking edible fungus, and the taste of beaver tail. May tonight's story distract your squirrels, calm your mind, and help you to fall asleep. I hope you enjoy it. A Wilderness Survival Story Part 4 Rabbit Traps Fungus Experiments and Beaver Surprise The rabbit continued to nibble at something that was at the base of the tree. It still hadn't noticed me. I moved my feet forward in slow motion, slowly picking them up and advancing closer to my furry objective. Suddenly, my foot snapped a twig. The rabbit's head shot up, and then it ran out of sight. I sighed feeling a deep wave of disappointment. But then, it dawned on me. What was the rabbit nibbling at? I glanced down at the bottom of the tree, where the rabbit had been dining on something. I caught sight of a great mass of fungus, 
was a dullish orange yellow, and it grew in a form resembling a sponge or some coral. I had often seen this fungus before, but I never gave it a second thought. Until now, now I was deeply in thought about this peculiar growth. Bending down, I could plainly see that one side of the fungus had been eaten away. Clearly, this was what the rabbit had been eating. My first thought was, well, maybe I should eat some too. If it was safe for the rabbit, then maybe it was safe for me also. Then I had a much better thought. Why gamble on eating some strange-looking fungus? Instead, I could use it as bait to catch a rabbit, and I knew that eating a rabbit wouldn't be a gamble. At once, I set about preparing a trap. It was going to be a modified snare trap. I began by cutting a number of short sticks and pushing them into the earth in a small circle. The circle of sticks was slightly smaller than the size of a rabbit. I crumbled some of the fungus and I placed it in the middle of the circle of sticks. Between two of the sticks, I left an opening wide enough for a rabbit to be able to poke its head through. I then replaced those two sticks at the opening with longer and stronger sticks, and I drove them deep into the ground. I then whittled a stick that was just long enough to reach from the top of one of these stakes to the top of the other at the entrance. With a fine hemlock root, I securely tied the top horizontal stick to the stakes that were pushed into the ground. With an additional hemlock root, I created a noose. I hung it from the horizontal stick and attached the long end of it to a nearby tree. So here is how the trap should work. A little rabbit comes hopping along and smells or sees the fungus on the ground that is sitting inside this circle of stakes. The rabbit then realizes it can only access the fungus by pushing its head through the opening that I created. As the rabbit pushes its head through the two upright stakes, it will also push its head through the noose. When the rabbit is done nibbling on the fungus, it will back away from the opening, which will tighten the noose.
because the noose is tied to a nearby tree, the rabbit won't be able to run away. Now, I could have created what's called a twitch-up snare trap. This is a common trap used by every farmer's boy to catch rabbits, partridge, and other small creatures. This type of trap is very similar to the snare trap I just created, except it is a little more complicated. The noose is still attached to the sticks at the entrance, except for those sticks are notched into each other. The notched sticks are attached to a lowered branch with roots or vines to create tension. This type of trap would then spring up or twitch up when the rabbit poked its head through the opening. The tension of the branch would then cinch the noose tight rather than the noose being tightened by the rabbit backing out of the entrance. Each trap has its pros and cons. The twitch-up trap could spring too soon due to a strong wind or some curious animal just bumping into it. The simpler snare I set up may not work if the rabbit doesn't fully insert its head and step backwards briskly. I stared at my trap, and I started having my doubts. Maybe I should have done the high-tension twitch-up trap. Maybe I scared away the rabbit, and it won't even return for a day or two. Could I wait that long to eat? Continuing to stare at my trap, my eyes became fixated on the yellow-orange fungus. How does that old saying go? A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. There is potential food right in front of me. No traps or waiting was needed. Maybe I should just eat some of that fungus. Now, I would never eat fungus without seeing another human or animal successfully eat it first. I bent over and plucked some of the fungus out from the middle of the trap. Perhaps I could do both. I could eat some fungus and leave some in the trap. Yeah. That seemed like a good compromise. I lifted a small piece of fungus to my mouth, and I nibbled it. Yeah, like a rabbit. It had a musty, but not totally unpleasant taste, with a slight nutty flavor. Cooked, it might taste even better. I walked around the forest, and I looked for a 
even more fungus. Now, I'm no fungus expert, but I tried my best to match the original ones in my hand with the other ones that I found. If it matched, and it looked like there were some nibble marks on it from rabbits, then I gathered it up. I returned to my shelter and at once prepared to cook and sample the fungus. I wasn't confident about the best way to cook it, so I tried several methods. I placed one small lump of the fungus on hot coals to roast it like a potato. <laughs> I hung another lump of fungus on a green stick to pearl it over the fire. Yeah, sort of like a pig on a spit. And I attempted to boil a third lump in a birch bark pot by setting it on ash-covered coals. I had some interesting results with my three cooking experiments. The bit of fungus that I broiled was soon shriveled up and was transformed into a leather-like material. It was tasteless and useless. The piece of fungus that was roasting in the coals sputtered and sizzled, almost transforming it into inedible pine bark after a few minutes. Yeah, that was a failure too. My last hope was for the boiled piece of fungus. After it had boiled for several minutes, I fished a bit of it out, allowed it to cool, and I tasted it. Much to my joy, it had lost most of its musty and woody flavor. It was now sweet, nutty, and tasted like a boiled chestnut. I smiled with great relief and satisfaction. Overall, though, I still wasn't 100% confident that the fungus was safe to eat. I decided to wait 24 hours. If I felt okay after that, then I would boil and eat a slightly larger amount. I felt good about this plan, which really is a good plan for any type of food you may be unsure about. So, I was quite happy about my fungus cooking experiment and about all my food options. I now had a good variety of food sources. Fungus, trapped animals, frogs, fish, and mussels. Thinking about this, brought me lots of comfort. It also reminded me that I was still hungry. That nibble of fungus wasn't exactly a belly filler. 
I grabbed my frog spear and I made my way to the brook to check on some of my traps. I decided to first check my new rabbit snare trap. I tramped my way back to the area with the fungus, the rabbit, and the circle of stakes in the ground. My snare trap looked untouched. I probably ejected too soon. I continued on to check on my older muskrat deadfall trap. I pushed my way through the thick growth toward the area where I placed the deadfall. From a distance, I could see the deadfall trap had sprung. My heart beat with hope. A sprung trap doesn't always mean that an animal was caught. As I approached more closely, I could see a furry head poking out from the sprung trap. Now my heart started to celebrate. It looks like I might be having a muskrat for dinner tonight. As I got even closer, I noticed that it seemed to be very large to be a muskrat. And sure enough, it turned out not to be a muskrat, but rather a large, fat beaver. I let out a happy cry of amazement. My first attempt at a deadfall trap had been a success. My celebration was a little muted, though. Although the beaver was a larger animal, a muskrat may have been a better catch. Beavers have an oil-releasing gland that doesn't taste great if that oil gets all over the meat. I would need to harvest the meat very carefully and avoid that gland so I didn't ruin it. Another downfall is that some of the beaver meat can be tough, like the shoulders. The shoulders do a lot of difficult dragging work when beavers are hauling branches around. Overall, though, getting a beaver was still a big win. Most of the meat should be good, and I could make use of the fur. I started by skinning the animal and preserving the hide. During this process, I noticed the strong, white tendons of its legs and tail. Tendons are tough and thread-like, perhaps even a better option for tying things together than the roots that I was currently using. I carefully removed and washed the tendons and placed them in a safe spot to dry. The beaver's meat looked white, clean, and tender. I decided to cook and taste some of it. I also decided to cook the tail. I knew that trappers and indigenous peoples considered 
delicacy. I place the meat above the hot coals to broil, except the tail. The tail seemed tough, so I decided to boil it in a birch bark pot. Now, this wasn't the same one I used for boiling the fungus, but a new pot I had just created. Not because I was worried about some type of cross-contamination between the fungus and the beaver meat, but rather the reason was much simpler. A birch bark pot doesn't hold up well to multiple uses for boiling. Yeah, you probably already guessed that. Anyway, while the meat and tail were cooking, I spread the skin of my beaver to dry. It then occurred to me that perhaps beaver flesh could be dried in small strips, like venison jerky. Preparing any type of meat into a dried jerky form is a great way to preserve it so it lasts longer. I cut strips from the carcass and hung them up. By the time this was done, the meat was thoroughly broiled and ready to taste. Much to my surprise, there was a slight musky taste to the flesh. I wasn't sure if this was the natural taste or if I had contaminated the beaver meat with some of the oil from that gland I mentioned before. I didn't find the beaver meat as tasty as beef or venison, but it was much better than eating mussels. Keeping that comparison to the mussels in my mind helped me to enjoy the beaver meat much more. I next looked forward to trying some of the beaver tail. The word delicacy was still echoing in my thoughts. Unfortunately, it was quite a disappointment. The tail was just too grisly and tough. It reminded me of pig's feet. I wondered how anyone could like it. Now, <laughs> I might have devoured it if I was truly starving, but I wasn't in that extreme of a situation yet. Perhaps if properly heated and prepared, it would have tasted better. But unless a magical beaver cookbook fell from heaven, or I was super desperate, beaver tail was not going to be on my menu. I was happy enough with the other beaver meat that I could cook to eat or dry out to make jerky strips. As long as my deadfall worked again, 
and beaver meat was another food option in my future. I started to clean up my camp area from the mess I'd made while preparing the beaver. I picked up the leftover parts with a plan to throw them in the river. But then I paused. In my situation, I need to make sure that I'm not wasting or overlooking any potential resources. With that principle in mind, I looked through the remaining beaver parts more closely. The head and leftover bones didn't seem useful at first, but then I kept thinking about them. I focused closely on the sharp, chisel-like teeth and the pile of strong bones. I'd heard about bones being used to create fish hooks. Fish hooks would be a great tool for catching fish. My current method was to bail out small side pools on a river. It worked, but I spent a lot of calories doing it, and I only caught small to medium-sized fish. Fishing with hooks burns a lot less calories, and I might be able to catch much larger fish. If I could catch larger and greater amounts of fish, then that would allow me to try and preserve some of that fish meat like I did with the beaver meat. The key to survival is not just getting food that you can eat now. It's about getting food that you can eat later. Many food sources disappear as seasons change, especially during winter. Properly preserved meat can last for months, and it might just be the only food source during a winter. I didn't know how to turn the bones from the beavers into fish hooks, but I knew I needed to figure it out. It also dawned on me that the bones might be reshaped, sharpened, and used as arrowheads. Of course, though, an arrowhead was useless without a bow and arrow. But gosh, just the thought of making an arrowhead motivated me to think about creating a bow and arrow. Regardless of how I was going to create fish hooks, bows, arrows, and arrowheads, I knew one thing. I wasn't going to chuck the beaver head and bones into the river. I went ahead and I dissected out the leg bones and the huge front teeth from the remains of the beaver. Feeling more confident that I wouldn't need anything else from the scraps, I then finally threw the rest of the leftovers in the river. Overall, 
It had been a long day, and my stomach was rumbling. So while I was at the river, I created another fish trap, and I encircled a group of small trout in a pool. Back at camp, I cleaned, cooked, ate the fish, and then settled into my shelter. I was thoroughly exhausted and ready for a good night's sleep. As I lay in my shelter, I started to try to figure out how I would create a bow, an arrow, arrowheads, and fish hooks. But my thoughts didn't get very far, because soon I was fast asleep. This is the end of part four. Stay tuned for part five in an upcoming bonus episode of Sleep Whispers. Thank you for supporting my podcasts. I truly appreciate it.